Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, we're going to continue the conversations that have stemmed from our latest print issue, which is all about race. Uh, We're specifically going to look at the voices of journalism and what voices are welcome, what voices aren't welcome. And when I say voices, I mean literally voices, especially in radio and television, and how big news organizations think about accents and think about people who sound differently than maybe the TV anchor that you grew up with. Um, We had a terrific piece in this issue all about accents and accents on the radio. It was by Gisele Regatau, who joins me today. Thanks for coming. Hi, thanks for having me. So nice to have you here. Um, I really love this piece. I'm so glad. It made me think about something I hadn't really pondered much, which was um, how open are especially big mainstream news organizations to people who don't sound like everybody else on the radio. You start this piece with a exchange that you had with National Public Radio over a piece that you wanted to do about a Brazilian artist. You're from Brazil, yep. lived in America for a long time, but but you you thought this was an interesting story about this artist finally sort of breaking through in the U.S. and um, went to NPR with that. And you actually ended up doing a um, a piece, a radio piece for NPR. Let's play just a, just the opening part of your bit of this piece, just so people can hear what we're talking about. A distorted human figure sits next to a cactus under a bright yellow sun. His head is tiny and is resting on one little arm. The other arm, his legs and feet are huge. Abaporu is colorful, modern, it's very Brazilian. It inspired a movement called anthropophagy, which means cannibalism. Okay, so that was the beginning of this piece. Um, Tell me about your exchange with NPR and sort of how, first when you pitched it and then once they they heard the finished piece. Yeah, so as you said, this is a Brazilian artist. She uh, was very famous in Brazil in the 1920s, a female artist who today is acknowledged as one of the best modernists in the whole world. So then finally, the Museum of Modern Art is doing a solo exhibit about her work. So acknowledging that she, you know, is an artist who deserves a lot of attention. So I pitched the story. And the and, and we should just say, sorry to interrupt, but we should say you're a freelance journalist in yes. addition to teaching. But right. this is what you do. You pitch people Exactly. Yeah. I'm a professor of journalism and I also continue to work as a journalist. When I pitched NPR, um, the editor in question, Tom Cole, who's the culture editor, initially he said, I I like the pitch, I like the idea, and I sent him some of the stories I've done before. I've voiced stories before for WNYC, where I used to work, for PRI, a national show for the world. And right away he wrote on an email, I like the pitch, but you have an accent. Mm -hmm. I didn't exactly know what to say uh, about that. I was a little surprised, uh, again, because I have worked before with my voice. And so I've said, well, I appreciate you being honest. I understand accents can still be a taboo for a lot of people. And we had a little bit of a back and forth, but he finally said, "Um, I'm willing to work with you. You know, I did the reporting, he did the edit. And when I tracked the piece, meaning when I recorded my voice, he was with me in the studio remotely, and he coached me, you know. Um, now, can I just, was yeah. he coaching you, and when he said, when he said, I can, I'll work with you on this, 
did he mean on your accent or just on the content of the piece? That I can't say. I, I wouldn't try to read into that so much, I guess. He also expressed some skepticism about doing visual art stories in radio, which is, right. is something Fair that enough. people sometimes say. It's yeah. I mean, I would say yes and no. I was the culture editor at WNYC, and I did a visual art stories every week. Mm. You know, I feel like if you decide that radio is a medium where you can't do certain kinds of stories, it's, it's problematic. Mm. Um, but the, the point is, as I'm recording myself, he's there, because I think for anybody who has an accent, you want to make sure you're, you're understandable, that you're not mispronouncing anything, that you're not saying something that people want to understand. So, of course, clarity is very important. Mm. So he was there, and he recorded with me. He asked me to redo several times, as anybody would do mm. when you are doing voice Not work. here at the kicker. Not here. I see. You're, like, <laughs> riffing. You're riffing even the introduction. Um, so anyway, but then after the edits, you know, months later is when he wrote to me again and saying, I'm sorry, the piece ended up not airing. In part was the news cycle. In part, it's because it's hard to do visual arts on the radio. And in part, it's your accent. Okay. Let me just ask you, have you, um, I mean, you've had a long career in radio. Yes. Um, but how much has this been an issue for you in the past? It hasn't so much because a lot of my roles has been in the ex executive management side. Uh -huh. So I've been executive producer, I have shows off the newsroom, I've been editor. So I felt like that was maybe a space where I could thrive and where my accent wasn't so much of a problem. Right. But what about the on-air part? This, this is something you get into your piece about yes. what is your accent in terms of your identity and your your sort of professional arsenal is it something that's an attribute or is it something that is a hindrance in this case with NPR it seemed that he thought it was a hindrance but what is your own sense of your accent as being part of your professional sort of toolkit I, when after i wrote the article i got so many comments of people saying, finally, somebody said something about this. And I guess that was my experience in my workplace. I felt it was something that I knew people didn't like, but I couldn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's like this thing that, oh, you have an accent, you're not supposed to be on the air. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I kind of eventually got there because I worked in radio for so many years. I had established a reputation as a editor, reporter, and I eventually did on-air work, but I wouldn't say that everybody thought it was okay, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It was like something that some people would say, oh, I love your accent. And some people would make some funny faces. Like maybe I was just very self-aware. Because that's the thing. When you have an accent, I think it's something you're always thinking about. So let's come back to that. But let's finish this narrative of the NPR story. So he mentioned accent. Um, then immediately I felt, wait a minute, you know, I have to write this story. This is a story about who belongs and who doesn't in journalism. Mm -hmm. So I wrote to him right away. And he wrote back and said, well, but your accent was not the only reason. And at that point, I actually argued with him. And I said, well, visual art stories I did all the time. And of course, the news cycle is intense, but I also would argue we all need more culture stories. And if you're telling me NPR is doing less culture stories because of the news cycle, I feel like that's another story to be done. Mm. 
So I, to be honest, I believe my accent was probably the main reason. And then you, you later reached out to other people at NPR, too, including, yes. I think, their spokesperson. Well, Edith Chapin, she is the executive editor. Yeah. I interviewed mm. her, mm. and I interviewed Keith Woods, who Keith is the Woods. vice president of diversity. Right. They both apologized to me, and they said this is absolutely against the company's policy mm-hmm. and that the editor in question does not speak for NPR, that that should not have ever have happened. Mm-hmm. So I... I said to them, can you give me examples of other people that are on the air who have accents, foreign accents in particular, and they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. They said they didn't want to name anybody in particular, that they wanna, they didn't want to single out people according to their country of origin. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I listen to NPR often, and I don't hear those, those accents, so I don't think they are there, or at least not in a very prominent role. What about the rest of um, broadcast media, TV too? It's the same problem. And as I found in my reporting, I contacted all major news organizations. Most of them did not write me back. I wrote, I emailed them, I called them multiple times. So it's either a topic they want to avoid completely, they don't have data, or at least they don't. They say they don't have data. Yeah. I mean, this is something we ran up against putting this whole issue together. I mean, people were because the whole thing is about has the diversity of media kept up with the diversity of the country? And the bottom line finding was no, no. Uh, across no. the board. Yeah. So the voices that we're hearing on the air aren't the voices of America yep. increasingly. Yes. Um, yeah. what, what is the psychology here, do you think? People who are in charge of these places must feel like It'll make their audience uncomfortable. What is motivating them to keep voices like yours off the air? I think there are two parts to that. One is who is in power and who decides what voice it sounds good and sounds better. The other part is what I found in my reporting. There is research. I spoke to this professor from the University of Chicago. He studies accents and what he and he has an accent himself. He's from Israel. He found that people trust people with accent less. Mm. Now, the question I unless have... Unless they're British accents. Unless they're British accents, yes. <laughs> the question I have is, where does this distrust come from? Mm. And that question he couldn't answer. He still doesn't have research. But that's my question. Is it because you don't hear accents enough, so you distrust them? Again, like I think it's different here in this town. But, I mean, if you live in a place where they're, they're, you just don't hear a lot of people who speak with accent, just the sort of otherness of it yes. could be disorienting. Yes. Um, and the interesting thing, the research, they told people specifically, you're going to hear people with an accent delivering information, but they are not the source of the information. They are just reading it. Mm-hmm. People would still distrust mm-hmm. more the information coming from a person with an accent. Yeah. So did this whole experience of doing this story, um, how did it affect you personally? Did it, make, did it make you, was it dis, disheartening? No, it was very empowering. Mm. I heard from so many people that are in similar situations than mine. Mm. I think I, it felt like it was an elephant in the room that nobody has ever talked about that is now out in the world. Mm. I heard from public radio people all over the country saying, I think you started a conversation now that is going to continue. In the same way that diversity is such a, problem in media organizations and I feel it needs to change and they've 
they keep saying they want to change, but you don't see the change happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe with accents, it's, I hope it's a start of a conversation. Mm-hmm. So what, what do, specifically what should news organizations do? And this is like a question that we kept hearing over and over again in this, in this race issue, because they would, and there's a million things that are thrown up. They'll say, well, the pipeline, there's not enough people in the pipeline, right. or there's not enough people coming out of graduate schools, or the pay isn't high enough. And all of these, frankly, are just a lot of excuses for why yes. people don't do more. Um, but specifically in terms of uh, diversifying the sounds that we hear and the, and the people who are, who are on the air, like what, should, what would you tell NPR or CBS or CNN? Like specifically, what should they be doing? Well, I say foreigns, foreign people are 13% of the population of this country, and it's the highest it has been since 1910. That's a lot of people. A lot of people in this country sound like I do. Mm-hmm. So for me, media organizations, our role is to work for the people, is to represent the country that we live in. And news organizations are not doing that. They are failing when they have a big concentration of certain people, in this case white male, who are deciding what we hear, how we hear, um, I think it's we are failing. Do you fear that um, the moment we're in with Trump and the caravan and this sort of fear of immigration will make it less likely that news organizations are going to do what you just said? Yes and no, because I also feel there is a lot of backlash against Trump and against his policies. Um, the caravan, uh, he tried to play that a lot during the midterms, and I think what we saw in the results that it didn't quite work. So in the same way that, yes, there is somewhat of a fear against immigrants, um, the Pew Research Center just released a report yesterday or today saying that the number of undocumented immigrants is at a, a very low level, the lowest since 2004. So there is the fear uh, and the reality are different things, right? And in the same uh, way that I think President Trump is trying to foster fear against immigrants, there is also a larger understanding that immigrants, you know, commit less crime than other populations. They contribute to the economy in different levels. So they, I think they both coexist. Mm. Well, it was great to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, Pleasure. You can subscribe to CJR and get the latest print issue of the magazine or go to CJR.org and check out this piece and all the other pieces from the print issue and everything else we have there. So thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.